to a Hope 103.2 podcast. Well, tonight we arrive at one of the most undervalued and sometimes misunderstood aspects of the Bible's description of the future. The topic of life after death, or perhaps more correctly as we'll see, life after life after death. I'll explain. What happens at death is one of those areas, like the idea of a rapture prior to the second coming, where myths have crept into popular Christian thought, which have very little connection either with what the Bible teaches or with what the church has taught throughout the centuries. Well, let me state the myth and then state the doctrine we're going to explore over the next few reflections. The myth says this, After Christians die, their bodies are irrelevant and their spirits go to heaven where they experience bliss forever in the presence of God. What the Bible actually teaches, though, is this. After Christians die, they rest in peace temporarily until the day of judgment, when they are bodily raised to life to enjoy God's new creation forever. I'll unpack the new creation part of this statement another time when we come to grips with the fact that the Bible envisages God's eternal kingdom not as heaven, but as a new earth in which God himself will dwell with humanity, just as he did in the Garden of Eden. What I want to do tonight is explore the first part of this statement. The Bible and the historic Christian church has always taught that eternal life is not a disembodied spiritual life, but a glorious, resurrected, bodily life. The point is stated perfectly in the famous Apostles' Creed, which has been a standard summary of Christian belief since its origins in the 3rd century. It's affirmed to this day by all Roman Catholic and Protestant churches, making it an extraordinarily ecumenical statement. There are two references in this creed to the afterlife. One relates to Jesus and the other to Christians in general. Both concern the essential idea of bodily resurrection. Let me read it to you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, sometimes even long-term church attenders assume that the reference at the end of this Apostles' Creed to the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting actually just reiterates what was said earlier in the Creed about Jesus' own resurrection, where it says, on the third day he rose again. But a moment's thought will make clear that the final lines of this ancient summary of Christian faith are all about believers, not Jesus at all. Following the teaching of the New Testament, this Apostles' Creed states that just as on the third day Jesus rose again, so at the end of history, men and women will likewise experience their own resurrection of the body 
And it's in this bodily mode that we will enjoy the life everlasting. In other words, the Christian view of the afterlife has always been about resurrected bodies in a revived creation. This is what the kingdom of God is. Now, before we look at the New Testament teaching on this theme, let me wind back several centuries and point out that the resurrection of the body was a peculiarly Jewish belief in the ancient world. See, pictures of the afterlife in Egyptian, Roman and Greek cultures were, in principle, bodiless. The souls of the departed were thought to leave the physical realm and enter into a sometimes hopeful, sometimes gloomy netherworld of gods and spirits. The early Old Testament writers appear to have shared this pessimistic view of the afterlife. There's the occasional hint of consciousness after death. So we see that in Genesis 5.24 and 1 Samuel 28.7-19. But mostly, death is described as a shadowy and unknown end. Look at Job 7 verses 9 and 10, or Psalm 6 verse 5. Not so in the later Old Testament writings. See, here the beautiful Jewish doctrine of God as creator and sustainer of physical life is rightly applied to beliefs about the afterlife. How could the God who lovingly fashioned the physical world and called it all very good possibly intend to discard physicality and replace it with a ghostly netherworld? No way, said these biblical writers, inspired by God's spirit. The creator will not abandon his creation. He will revive it. Enter the wonderful Jewish doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Our first hint of resurrection life for God's people comes in the vision of Ezekiel. Here the prophet sees a valley full of dry bones, which we are told represents the destroyed nation of Israel. The prophet is told to speak to the bones, God's words of life. And so we read in Ezekiel 37 verse 4, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you, and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Well, the bones obey, and the people of Israel come back to life. Now, it's unclear in this prophetic vision whether the resurrection spoken of here is metaphorical. I mean, at points, the description is very literal. At other points, though, it seems quite symbolic. Not so in the book of Daniel, which takes this resurrection theme and applies it to the concrete fate of the departed. Daniel 12, verse 1. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth, will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. This passage establishes forever the Old Testament doctrine of the resurrection of the dead 
at the time of the end, a theme that appears throughout ancient Jewish literature, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in Josephus, in the Pseudepigrapha, in the Talmud, and so on. In other words, in all of the Jewish literature from antiquity. I mean, to this day, Orthodox Jews offer this daily prayer, composed way back in the first century. I'm quoting now from the Jewish prayer book. You are eternally mighty, my Lord. The resuscitator of the dead are you, abundantly able to save, who sustains the living with kindness and maintains his faith to those asleep in the dust. And you are faithful to resuscitate the dead. Blessed are you, O Lord, who resuscitates the dead. Well, not surprisingly, the first Christians inherited this Jewish Old Testament doctrine of a general resurrection. They did so, though, with some unexpected additions, which we'll look at next time. Tonight, I just want to say firmly that God's promise of eternal life doesn't have much to do with our spirits living eternally in the clouds. It's all about God raising the dead and restoring creation to the way it was intended. Hope 103.2 Thanks for listening.